You're listening to Breakaway Wealth, the show designed to help you build wealth faster, think bigger, and break out of the herd. Now, here's your host, Jim Oliver. Welcome back, Breakaway Wealth. I'm your host, Jim Oliver, and with me today, I'm super excited to have Jeff Lerner. Jeff, welcome, buddy. Thanks, Jim. So glad to be here. So, you know, audience, I do know Jeff and we've talked and I was on Jeff's show and he's got a really cool audience and we've been able to help a few of his audience members already, but I'm going to let him introduce himself himself. <laughs> there's no, there's not two Jeffs. Hey, have you been, have you been talking to my therapist? Can no, he no. Help me? <laughs> you know, it's funny, Jeff, and I, I need to qualify this with the audience because I have no idea what my eyes look like right now because they're dilated from the doctor. But when I saw, I thought, man, I might have to reschedule that, that I see that I have a recording. And then I clicked on it and it was you. And I said, oh, I'm not going to reschedule. And so just know audience that my eyes are dilated. The reason they're dilated, any, there's no conspiracy out there. These, I went to the eye doctor and I hadn't been for two years, but my sight was really good. So at least I got that going, but I'm going to let Jeff introduce himself. So Jeff, take it away before I butcher that more than I already did. No, I, thanks, Jim. Your, your eyes, actually, I'm, I'm looking at you. I'm sort of hypnotized. They look, uh, they look extra, extra radiant today. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, the, the big black pupils are a bigger reflective surface, surface for your ring light that is probably look, on the other side of you. And it looks pretty cool, honestly. I look like I should be on uh, in, uh, Cheech and Chong. See that? I just aged myself. How about... Pineapple Express. Pineapple Express. Yeah, That's there right. we go. There we go. <laughs> um, but no, I appreciate the opportunity to come on the show and, and get to speak a, a little bit with your audience. So yeah, I'll just briefly, you know, intro myself and you can take it wherever you want. So I guess the 50,000 foot or even perhaps higher view from space of Jeff Lerner is that uh, I spent my whole childhood with this palpable sense that I wasn't really like. I don't know. Somehow I was designed different. I didn't seem to fit in. I didn't see myself like getting a job and going to work every day and playing fantasy football with my coworkers and like, you know, eating birthday cake on Milton's birthday to use an office space reference. And like, I didn't see it for myself. So in high school, I dropped out uh, to become a jazz musician because I liked the idea of getting to go to work every day to create something that had never existed before, which every jazz performance is completely unique. And the challenge with that, though, was that I was not actually uh, much of a piano player when I dropped out at 16. So I had to spend about three years teaching myself to go from beginner or I'd say middling amateur to like professional caliber performing musician in about three years, you know, fast enough to be able to support myself as an adult by the time I was 18 or met my parents were able to buy me a little bit of grace. But, you know, I, I dropped out of high school at 16, basically started playing piano around my 17th birthday. And by 19, I was working professionally and actually putting food on the table. And so that's really important because in those two plus years, I had to really, really commit myself to an accelerated learning and a pretty insane level of discipline. And I mean, I had my day. And when I say my day, I mean, I practiced from the time I woke up till the time I went to sleep. And I built in breaks for like the restroom and food and maybe a workout. And that was basically my life. Eventually, then I, I started going to school and I started playing gigs. But I mean, like any time that wasn't absolutely committed to something else, I was teaching myself to play the piano. And I basically built this rap, like accelerated 
music learning system for myself that that literally broke my entire day down into like anywhere from five to 15 minute increments. And, and I don't want to get into like music, musical nerdery, but I mean, for anybody that's a musician, I'll just say like, imagine spending the first five minutes of the hour practicing major seventh arpeggios for four octaves up and down. And then the next five minutes practicing minor seven arpeggios up and down in all 12 keys. And then the next five minutes practicing diminished seven arpeggios up and down for the next in all 12 keys. And then the next five minutes, and the next five minutes, like it was nuts, but it was the only way I could figure out to assimilate all of these concepts fast enough to get to where I could be a nimble working musician that frankly, a, a working piano player has got to have so much facility in so many different areas and so many different styles. And like, let's say you're accompanying a singer and the singer has a cold. And so she's not able to hit her high notes. So you got to bring everything down a step. And so you're having to transpose music on the fly into a different key. Like it's highly cerebral to be a working musician. Most of us think it's just like, like when I was a kid and I practiced for Elise over and over and over 800 times until I could perform it. It's a lot more cognitive than that and a lot less sort of technical or, or physical. And so that was really important. And probably the most important thing about it was all the people that told me when I started that it would never work and I could never do it. Because I'm talking, I, I went and, and met with the, the piano faculty at the University of Houston, my local major university, and told them, hey, I'm dropping, you know, I, I just dropped out of high school. I'd like to consider getting into the piano performance department at University of Houston. I don't have a high school diploma and I just started and basically watching them roll their eyes. And then every semester for the next three years, going back and auditioning semester after semester after semester. And it took six semesters or three years until finally I got in. And then two more years after that, they finally gave me a full scholarship to be the first chair pianist in the jazz orchestra. And then finally, I graduated with a degree that included an emphasis in piano performance and jazz piano performance. And like, that whole thing, I never made any money. I spent all my 20s as a broke musician, but I had this deep conviction that it makes no difference what other people tell you you can do. Yeah. And that is actually everything that I've done since has been on the basis of that because I've done nothing that anybody ever told me was a good idea. Right. So 10 years working musician, I wrote a couple musicals. I had you know a musical produced. I played in some cool bands. I was kind of the pianist of house call for a lot of the really, really wealthy people in Houston where I'm from, like a lot of the literal billionaires, when they would have house parties, I would get to come play their house parties. And so I was surrounded by all these really successful entrepreneurs that would pay me to play piano at their house for their dinner parties or whatever, got obsessed with entrepreneurship. So then in my, you know, throughout my twenties, I was always starting businesses, you know, when I wasn't playing gigs or practicing. And of course, everybody around me, you know, I'm surrounded by musicians who are like, they're like, you're crazy. You think that you're going to go from being somebody that performs at those people's houses to like being one of those people who hires us to come perform at their house. Like, yeah, get right, Jeff, or get real, Jeff. And I just, I don't know, man, I just kept chipping away at it. And finally, in my late 20s, I started to break, I finally got something to work. A lot of things didn't work first. By 28, I was actually on my 12th failed business. And it was these franchise restaurants with SBA loans. So I was almost a half a million dollars in debt. But, you know, and of course, at that point, everybody's like, dude, you just got to get a job and try and spend the next 10 years of your life trying to survive and dig out. Nope. Keep going, starting businesses. And finally, you know, I ended up paying off half a million dollars in debt in 18 months because I got, you know, in business, it only takes one. You can mm -hmm. literally miss every shot you take except for one and have it all turn around. And anyway, so then I finally, you know, fortunately, I made more than one shot. I had an initial shot that kind of restabilized my life. And then I had another business that I was able to 
sell and you know had another couple in between here and there. And now I have essentially by 39 years old, my entire life had been defined by this obsessive entrepreneurial quest to create value, to learn the relevant skills in the world, to never have to be a, a, a job slave and to own my time and to place a higher value on time freedom than money. That was the predominant sort of the guiding principle of my life is that freedom is worth more than money. Yeah. So don't trade one for the other. And, you know, once it flips and it starts to click, then it's just like a hockey stick curve. And so about five years ago, I finally was looking at my life going, man, you know, at 29, I was broke, twice divorced, homeless, living in a in my ex-wife's parents' guest bedroom out of pity, half a million dollars in debt at 29. And then at 39, 10 years later, I just sold a business. I was retired. Yeah. And so I'm like, man, I see all these people around me that are just toiling in the grind and they're not reading the macroeconomic tea leaves closely enough to see that it is not, this is a road to futility, man. Like you're getting a 2.3% per year average raise in whatever job you're in. And you and I both know that even the government's published numbers of, of, around inflation, which are, you know, probably double that are really only half of what actual inflation is, yep. you know, because they change the basket of goods every year to make yep. the number, the consumer price index lower than it would otherwise be if it was actually apples to, to 10 years ago, apples. And so I started telling other people, like, if you don't learn, like, essentially, people think of entrepreneurship as like an app you develop or an idea you raise money for, or it's like this externalized thing. Entrepreneurship is a set of skills. And you can apply them to solving all kinds of problems. But fundamentally, if you have that set of skills, you're probably outside of a very small number of people, which I would describe as either very advanced industry veterans in specific categories or people that are so at the bottom that they have nothing to lose or people in specific industries that I would basically say are either high finance or the technology sector. Outside of those categories of people, there's no real mechanism for people in this world to actually get ahead faster than they're getting behind simply by existing over time. And I yeah. know you know what I mean, right? Like yeah, just time, the time decay of value in the world today, especially where US is at in its monetary policy cycle and really the whole Western world, everybody's losing all the time and they don't see it happening. Right. And so the two or 3% a year raise model the climbing the corporate ladder model is just, you know, dead man walking existence for most people. And entrepreneurship is really the only exception unless you're in those four categories I described. And so I started telling the world that somewhat unpopular story back in 2018 after I'd sold my business and people would share the content. And, you know, I had some little bit of a following, but eventually I put a course together that's kind of like the basics of entrepreneurship in the modern world. That course started selling like hotcakes, partly because not long after I launched it, the pandemic came along and the great reset. And suddenly everybody's eyes were wide open to what I'd been saying, which is the system is broken yeah. and it's milking you for all it can until you die, wondering why your dreams never ma mattered to anyone else. And then that became the launch pad for what's now Entre Institute. Whereas of this morning, we just enrolled our 351,174th paying customer, paying student to build one of the biggest, maybe the biggest holistic entrepreneurial education platform in the world. I don't know. 
and that's all I do now is I write books and I do podcasts and I lead the company and I evangelize that entrepreneurship is really most people's only realistic shot at actually having the life they want. Yeah. I can just say, okay, there's the show. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> go to Jeff's site and sign up. No, I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding because you know, what do you have to lose? Number one, but let's go all the way back. What a gift that like, I always think of school and, you know, Robert Kiyosaki says, hey, someday we'll look back on the way we educated children and we'll think how barbaric that was, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like senior educators are basically war criminals in my view at this point. Yeah. And, you know, I love to learn, but I hated school. I mean, I hated school. And I dropped out way before 16, but I didn't actually drop out. I was still going. And they said, as long as you show up for football practice, don't worry, we'll make sure everything's okay. You know, and in baseball practice and everything else. So that's, I mean, that's why I didn't drop out. But if I was into music, I, I, I was in LA, you know, it wasn't very far to go to find all kinds of music opportunities or, you know, probably a lot of things to get me in trouble in music there in LA. But figuring out that, hey, I can't be happy doing that, right? There were two times in my life that I did that. I worked in a casket factory when I was 13, swinging a hammer all day long. And I thought to myself, I can't do this forever. Like, I, I cannot survive doing this. My brain won't turn off. Like, I'm thinking of other things. I can't just put on this mask and just do this, something like this. And then later, after high school, I got in trouble and I had to do restitution. That's a whole nother story. But I was doing hot tar roofing. Mm. And I thought, how many hours do I have to put in into this? Because this is hard and it's hot. And this was in Missouri. And so those were two times that I thought, I can't do this. Like my brain doesn't work this way. And so I think it's amazing that you had that epiphany so early in life, but then you did something that most people don't do. A lot of people have that feeling, but then they go, and there's nothing I can do. I mean, I just got to adapt and you can, you will adapt. You will dumb down. You will do it unless you refuse to. Right. And what you did is you said, Hey, I'm an okay musician, but I need to be great to do what I need to do to get to where I could have the job. It's probably at that point, you still thought of it as a job. I mean, playing music, right? And it was a job, right? I mean, because you got to play music when they tell you it's time to play music. Yeah. It's trading time for money with a, a leverage factor of one. Right, right. Which I love the way you said that because that reminds me of a great book out that I've been advocating. And so if you haven't read 10X is easier than 2X, then you're shortchanging yourself because 2X is linear, right? 10X, you got to be innovative. So you were innovative. You're like, hey, it can't just be better than Bobby over there that's first chair because it's not about competition, right? So it wasn't like, I got to beat Bobby in wrestling. I got to beat Bobby in piano. Whoever number one is, I got to beat them. That's not how it works. It's collaborative because it's like, hey, I need to, what, you know, like, I don't want to be better than Bobby. I want to be better than everyone. And that also reminds me of a story about Tom Brady. When he was winning Super Bowls, he was interviewed and they said, you know, you just need X more championships to exceed Montana, right? And he said, I'm not going for Montana. I'm going for Jordan. Like, I want to be the greatest champion of all time, right? Right. So it's that attitude. Okay, so when we're blessed with that attitude, right? When we're blessed with the drive 
the hard work, everything, the intelligence that you were blessed with. And you said it at 13 years old, I'm this, but I want to be this and I'm going to work my butt off until I get it. Most people aren't blessed with that, right? So when we're blessed with something in my belief system, we're called to share it, right? Which is exactly what you're doing. We're called to, you know, I mean, in the Bible, they talk about Jesus washing the feet of other people. He's being of service to, to other people. And he, and he wanted to show you that it doesn't matter how small or how basic that service is. That's what we're called to do. Okay. So whatever gift you have, I guess I'm saying, like if you're the best, you know, foot washer in the world, you could still be of service and you can still teach people stuff. And by the way, you can still be financially free doing that. So I love how, what you said about entrepreneurship because it's something that, I, it was a lesson I learned when I was 13, but I wasn't smart enough to implement it for 20 years, right? Is I, I learned it. I had an example. God put it in my life, but I was like, hmm, I think I'll go into Wall Street because I didn't realize that that was the answer. You know, I went off of appearances. I went off of information that was given to me by society. And that's something else that you touched on. But by the way, the majority has never been right about anything. Nelson Nash mm -hmm. used to say that all the time, and it's the truth. And so if you go with the majority, you're going to be wrong. Yeah. Just the bottom line. So I love everything you're doing. I love your journey. I love your message. And I love the gifts that you've been given and what you're doing with them. So tell me what you see, because I see this with infinite banking, right? Is I'm trying to show somebody that, hey, the goal is financial freedom. And they said, well, how much money do I have to put in there? And I go, okay, obviously I didn't, I didn't communicate something clearly because you don't have to put any money in here. <laughs> you right. Keep on putting all that money in that 401k that the government controls and Wall Street. But what are some of the roadblocks? Because this is what I want the audience to take away from this in the next five minutes or so is whatever you're thinking right now, all you got to do is go take Jeff's course. That's all you got to do. Hey, if it's for you, it's not for you, you'll know, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it, by the way, it's $39 in case somebody's yeah, wondering, yeah. Like, well, how do I find out? It's 39 bucks. Or you can buy my book, right. which is like 20 bucks. Yes. And, and by the way, if somebody out there truly doesn't have $39 to buy the course, call me and, or email me and I'll pay for it for you. Because if you have enough guts to email me and you have enough guts to actually take the course, then I would help anybody that needs the help. So tell me what barriers because obviously it's not a cost barrier. I mean, when I was a kid, I would look in the couch for you know change so I could go down and get Taco Bell tacos for 25 cents a taco. You know, So you could scrape together $40 in today's world somehow. But what are the things that you see when people come in that like, what are they afraid of? Like, what are people afraid of? Yeah, it's honestly, there are things people are afraid of. And they always come down to four, there's four types of, we call them like the four basic objections yeah, in, any, in any sales conversation or opportunity exchange that's oriented around somebody making any type of progress in their life or growth in their life. There's going to be four things that come to mind for them that are the, you know, limbic brain's way of making sure that you don't do anything that could possibly change your life beyond the extent to which you feel comfortable and safe, right? 
And they are money, time, ability, and the opinion of others, usually one significant other, like a spouse. Maybe. Yep. I don't have the money. I can't do it. I don't have the time. I can't do it. I don't believe that I'd be able to do it. It's a, the ability objection or my wife would kill me, right? And so, yeah, those are the things people are afraid of. But I like to, and this is a little bit ridiculous, but I like to say, okay, let's assume that with committed, let's say you're going to spend the next two years working on something, some new thing that does not currently exist in your life, 20 hours a week. Like let, you would actually have to come up with 20 new hours of the 168 that you have each week, 20 new ones. That's times 52 weeks. That's 1,040 hours a year times two. That's 2,080 hours over the next two years. And you're also going to probably need to invest some money. And maybe your wife's going to be annoyed at you. And you know all those things are still there. But the difference is if you don't do it, your kidneys are going to shut down in two years and you're certainly going to die. Well, are, are those four basic objections, are they still going to stop you from doing it? Well, no. Okay. And you say, well, yeah, Jeff, but that's not the, the situation. I acknowledge that's not the situation. I do not have, nor would I, if I had the power to like curse you with kidney failure, if you don't buy my stuff, but it just proves that, you know, what Nietzsche said is he who has a big enough, why can endure anyhow. Yeah. That if the goal is big enough, then suddenly things you said you couldn't do, they become doable. You'll do it. Whatever it takes, you'll do it. Right. If it was, your, your child is going to contract leukemia if you don't do these things, then like you'll do the things. You'll move heaven and earth to do these things, right? Yeah. So don't tell me that you can't do them. Just acknowledge that there are different degrees of commitment in our life. Yeah. I'm, a mother trying to save their infant child from being hit by a car in the middle of the street is committed at a different level than I was yesterday to watching the Super Bowl, which I got bored with halfway through and changed the channel and turned on Netflix. So th then, therefore, what? Okay, given my premise that entrepreneurship is actually the only realistic path for most people to have a life that remotely looks like what they dreamed of as children and that probabilistically ends without a bunch of regret at the day of their dying, that's maybe that's not as important as keeping our child alive, but honestly, I'm not sure it's that, that much below it. Like, that's pretty damn important. And so what, what is the difference between what I believe is the value of entrepreneurship for a person and what that person believes is entrepreneurship for themselves? It's either I don't agree with Jeff's data, the data that Jeff used to derive his conclusions, which is like, I don't agree with inflation statistics. I don't agree with you know, retirement statistics. I don't agree with monetary outcomes. I don't agree with quality of life outcomes. I don't agree with all the, agree with all the research out there that doesn't just quantify entrepreneurial outcomes financially, but also in terms of physical health, in terms of relationships, in terms of emotional maturity, in terms of mental well-being. Like, I, I just don't believe it. Well, okay. I mean, denial ain't just a river in Egypt, I guess. But, or I somehow just don't think that that truth can be true for me. Yeah. And yeah. that is the long way of me getting to the actual answer to your question is that for some reason, and I know the reasons I, I confront it every day, people think these big truths about the world somehow don't apply to them because their self-conception doesn't hold themselves in enough regard to think I could be one of those people who have that life. You, you know, it's funny, Jeff, growing up, as poor like I did being homeless at one point in time, I struggled with that when I was younger. You know, I live in Naples. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like most 
areas where you might say, hey, the nicest house in Naples is, or nicest house in our area is $10 million, $20 million, whatever. No, that doesn't even get you into the nicest right. neighborhood in Naples, right? You got to go over $100 million. And I would say, well, those people, those people, those people, because, oh, and that person started Guitar Hero and that person started Wayfair. And okay, right? Which is back to your point, by the way, about being an entrepreneur. But, you know, when I was trading time for money and I was managing salespeople, I would say to them, like, hey, all you have to do is go show people what you do. Don't sell them anything. Just show them what you do and how you help people. And they, the people that wouldn't do it, I would say, I, okay, I'm, I'm trying to understand why, what, what's happening. And I would say the same kind of thing to them as I would say, Jeff, it's Monday morning. I have your family and I'm holding them hostage. And at five o'clock on Friday, if you haven't gone and shown 10 people what you do, I'm going to shoot them. Is there any doubt in your mind you can't go show 10 people? This is the answer I would get. Jim, I'll do it today. I'll go show 10 people what I do today to save my family, right? Yeah, right. But if I said to you, hey, Jeff, I have your family. I'm holding them hostage. And by 5 o'clock Friday, if you don't jump over this building from one side to the other, I'm going to shoot your family. You would say to me, you might as well shoot them now because I can't do that. Right. So it's not a can't, right? I'm not asking somebody to jump over a building. I'm trying to help have you go out and serve 10 people this week. If you won't do it, then you don't think you're worthy of that message or that they're going to like you or it's all about you. You've internalized this doubt in your brain. But why have you done that? Because for your entire life, that's been the message. For your entire yeah. life, you've been taught that you should go work, you should trade time for money, you could have a great job. And if you're special, you'll have a great job. And then you're going to build up this nest egg. And then you're going to live off it for the rest of your life. You're going to hope that you don't run out of money. But you're going to work 20, 30, 40 years to do that. 20 years, if you're really, really gifted, 40 years, if you're a little slow. I'm just kidding. But like, you're going to do this, right? This is the thing that they train us to believe. And all of those other people, yeah, so-and-so went bankrupt today. This company failed. Hey, don't be free. Look over here. Don't look over here. Oh, you know, Donald Trump lost a billion dollars over the 10 years. He's a terrible business person. I don't want to tell you about depreciation. By the way, I don't care if you love him or hate him, but he understands depreciation, right? Yeah. Okay. So I, I love your answer to that question because I think it's spot on is it's something inside of them. And by the way, let me undergird what you just said yeah. with two really important stats. First of all, there's the educate, there's a stat related education, which is like, oh, well, if you just really buckle down and focus on getting a great education, prestigious education, it'll unlock your future. Bullshit. The average Harvard graduate 12 years into their career in their mid thirties is making about 80 grand a year. Wow. While, while paying off almost $300,000 in student loans. That's Harvard. Other stat is, and this is data that's about six months old now. Is it roughly 60, it's between 60 and 65% of people that make over $100,000 a year are still one paycheck away from losing their homes? Yeah. So wow. you're, if you're making 70 grand a year thinking, well, man, if I just made 110, life would be amazing. Two thirds of $110,000 earners are one paycheck away from losing their homes. Like we just live in a world where it's an order of magnitude 
the entire conversation that we're having with young people and workers and retirement plans. And it's like we're talking to everybody about where exactly to position their chair on the deck of the freaking Titanic. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like a few of us that are actually on like this badass new ship that's like iceberg proof. And we're like rowing along. But why? Nobody, everybody thinks we're the crazy ones. Well, and we're even saying, hey, get off your raft. Don't freeze to death. Come with us. Yeah. And and they're like, no, no, no. I'm going to stay right here and get rescued because I know the government's going to be here any minute and rescue me before I freeze to death. But, you know, I tell people like I just did this over the weekend. I played golf three times over the last weekend. And I said, when somebody asks me what I do, I say, I free slaves. And they look at me really funny. And I said, you can read my book. You can go to my community. I free slaves. And I said, because we're financial slaves and I can prove it to you. I can prove it to you with just straight logic is the government's printing more and more money, right? Yes. Okay. So what does that do to the dollars that you have in your pocket? Makes them worth less or more? Less. Okay. So you exchange time for money? Yes. Okay. So the government's stealing your time, right? Because they're debasing your money, which you're exchanging time for money. That means they're debasing your time. Now, your life on earth is measured in time, right? So if they're stealing your time, they're stealing your life. So they're stealing your money, which is stealing your time, which is stealing your life. Stealing your life is the very definition of slavery. So tell me where there's a flaw. And if you, even just going off the government's numbers, if you look at the historic rate of of inflation versus the historic rate of wage increases, the average worker 40 years into their career is making half as much real money, real value as they were the day they started working. It's funny. I I had a friend, a client that's going through a divorce and he said, Jim, I think I'm just going to pay my ex-wife, just pay her a lump sum now. I said, no, 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 no. Stretch that out for as long as you can. The dollars you're paying her at the end, they're worth way less than the dollars you're going to give her today. Yep. And he's like, I never thought about that. uh, Why didn't I think about that? Not taught that. I got to tell you, I actually updated my Instagram bio this morning. I'm always fiddling with it and testing. Anyway, I, I, but on your like, I free slaves, what I said this morning is I founded Entre Institute because entrepreneurship is how non-elites can actually get free. Which I love. I, I um, love that. By the way, every single person that I know in Florida, and remember, they're all, quote, retirement age. Okay? Like, I'm a young guy down here at 58, right? Right. There's not one who doesn't vote no for improvements, no for assessments, no, not one of the people that are voting yes. I want better, 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 bigger, better, bigger, better, because my life is bigger, better. Not one of them is on a fixed income from a pension or a a 401k, which is basically a do-it-yourself retirement plan. They all own assets. They all own real estate or businesses. And those people are like, they want to have their best life. So to have your best life, and I'm looking at the clock here, and I appreciate your time. And I think I could talk to you for hours on here, Jeff. But how do people find you? You mentioned Instagram. Give me all of the, we're going to put it all in the show notes, everybody. So what's the best way? How do I find that $39 course and Um, do it? Honestly, just go, I mean, type Jeff Lerner into Google. My social handles everywhere other than X or formerly Twitter is Jeff Lerner official. It's too many characters for Twitter. They don't allow you, the handle's too long. But yeah, Jeff Lerner official on YouTube or Instagram or Facebook or even TikTok. 
Ugh, sometimes cringe, but yes, I'm on TikTok. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, just look me up. You can read my book. Every Everywhere you go, there's a link to a funnel that will lead you to that course. It's $39. Sometimes it's less if we're running a, a special or something. And you know, this is what I'll say is like, yeah, you live in Naples, Florida. And that's the reality of Naples, Florida. But like maybe somebody listening is like, well, I don't want to live in Naples. I'm not trying to live in Naples, Florida. Therefore, what's true for Jim isn't necessarily true for me. Okay, fine. Let's just say you live in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. And you want to live in a neighborhood where there's consistently low crime. There's uh, reliable law enforcement. There's potholes get filled. Yeah, just the stuff that's non-disruptive to a basic quality of life. The economics still don't work out for most people, yeah. right? Like, and if they do today, wait two years. I yeah. mean, it's a rapidly decaying model. We're in the latter stage of, frankly, the, the collapse of an empire. And I'm not here to get all like meta about the thing. I'm just saying for individuals operating within that temporal reality right now today, we're not just talking about how to live in a mansion. We're talking about how to just not and, and even if not for you, what's going to be true for your children in 30 years when yeah. they're your age? You know, like, and it is, it, it comes down to this basic skill set and value orientation. And also, like, like I'll give an example. This was even 20, over 20 years ago, there was a book written called The Millionaire Next Door, which I'm sure you're you know, very familiar with. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's one of the sort of iconic books of that generation about money. And one of the things it found is that most of the people with a million dollar net worth in this country, even back then, they were not doctors and lawyers. They said they, they were blue collar business owners, people that own their own electrical contracting firm, that own their own plumbing firm. And so entrepreneurship, again, I'm trying to restore the definition of this term. It doesn't mean you go raise venture capital and invent Snapchat. Nope. It just means you understand economics and human psychology and labor dynamics and market forces and the time value of money and how to organize and operate a business and how to lead people like this. It's just this meta skill set that you've mastered that gives you asymmetrical earning potential in a world that is slowly squeezing the energetic life out of most workers. So I totally agree. By the way, because you just touched on, and I'm going to use that book as your, as I'm not even going to ask you the question. I'm going to use that book as the book for people to go read because I, I want to be sensitive to your time. So I normally ask everybody two questions. And by the way, I'm going to have Jeff just send me a quick little thing. I'll put the questions in the show notes because I know people love those questions. Okay. So I'm going to just put them in the show notes and not have them part of this because I have to tell you something about Thomas Stanley. So Dr. Thomas Stanley was a professor at a college in, in, I think it was Georgia Tech, okay? But he taught a course, okay, back to what we, all the way back to the very beginning of this. He taught a course on how to sell to the affluent, market to the affluent, and I have his textbooks that became, hmm. the textbooks became the millionaire next door. And when he dives in deeper to this is what it taught me in my 20s, when I was a, quote, financial babysitter, I mean, financial planner, is I'm not going after. Again, I learned everything I needed to learn at 13. The guy that owned the casket factory was the guy that I should be talking to. He was living in a massive house in Beverly Hills, and he was investing his money in real estate that he was making, right? And Thomas Stanley taught people this, but 
I mean, it, it might be Georgia Southern. It was just like a school that you're not like, why isn't this being taught in an Ivy League school right, or right. at, you know, no, it's just this guy couldn't find anybody in all of these textbooks, which should be like think and grow rich. I mean, everybody should know what they are. He had to dumb it down for people to read. And it's not that, it, I mean, he had to condense the concepts and say, hey, I'm not going to give you all this detail. I'm going to give you the millionaire next door. And what people didn't realize is the guy that's running the scrapyard, driving the old beat up Ford truck, he's got way more money than the doctor driving the Ferrari. That's just the way it is. And so whatever you think you are, you can do it. Wherever you are, you can start. And Jeff, thank you so much for being on here. I think the only thing that's the right thing to do is we're going to have to have you back on. And, you know, like I feel like there's a course that we could collaborate on and do because one of the things that I'm going to do, the course that I'm developing right now is I'm drawing out financial freedom using IBC. So I show mm. somebody in four years to have $120,000 a year passive income coming in, but I'm going to show you how to have 500,000, a million. And so that course is, you can use it with whatever business you're going to start. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah. You're just going to be real estate. You're going to do this. You're going to, I mean, and, it doesn't and, and matter. And by the way, let me, just, let me just butt in and say, yeah. you've, you've given me a really powerful endorsement for my worldview and my offerings. I also want everyone listening to know that I run the foundation of my own personal economy off of my seven life policies, my seven yeah. infinite banking policies. I mean, I, I buy a car, I borrow it for myself. I buy a, a rental property, I borrow it for myself. So I'm here to validate you too. Yeah, I appreciate that. And you know what we're all coming down to, and we'll wrap it up with this, is we're not teaching entrepreneurship so you can have tons of money. I'm not teaching people IBC so you can have tons of money. What I teach and you teach, we teach the same thing. We're teaching people to have freedom because mm -hmm. money gives you choices. Choices give you freedom. All I want for everyone in the audience, and I know all that Jeff wants, is you to be free to be you. And if that means playing the piano every day, and that's what you want to do, or go golf every day, go fishing every day, whatever you want to do in your life, that's what I want you to be able to do. So Jeff, thank you so much. And one of the first steps to doing that is you got to listen to this guy's 32-minute talk on YouTube, and it's Earl Nightingale and the Strangest Secret. And so take it away, Earl. Here's the key to success and the key to failure. We become what we think about. Now let me say that again. We become what we think about. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time to hear what was shared on today's podcast. If you are looking to discover new wealth building strategies, then go to community.createtailwind.com. That's community.createtailwind.com to join our free online community and get access to free courses and in-depth training videos designed to help you build wealth and break away from the herd. Click the link in the show notes to access the community today. Thanks again for listening.